Hello and welcome to the latest interview of, and Australian Grape and Wine podcasts. Today, I'm very fortunate I've got Will Taylor. He's a partner, leader, well-known raconteur and part of Finlayson's. Uh, so really good lawyers that we've had a lot to do with and very grateful to have that relationship. And Will, welcome to the show. Uh, pleasure, Tony. Pleased to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. So today what we want to do is talk a little bit about some of those issues that might affect vintage 2021. So vintage is now well underway. Uh, we've seen what's looking like going to be an above average vintage. I'll put my prediction out there now. It's uh, 1.82 million tonnes. Um, always good to get in early and be wrong. Uh, but I think some of the really interesting things about this vintage are the fact that we've got some different conditions to normal. We've had, we had the disastrous year of 2020. And this year, of course, we've had the impact of China. Now, China has meant there's a lot of uncertainty out there with grape growers and winemakers, and we've already seen its impact on prices, particularly for red fruit uh, in some of the regions. So it just means that there's a lot more issues to be aware of, and it's really important you have those good relationships if you're a grower with your winemaker and vice versa. So I might just ask, well, it's a bit too late, but what are some of the things that winebreakers winemakers and grape growers should have done in the lead up to vintage 2021 about their grape supply? Well, um, being a real lawyer as I am, um, I would say they should have actually made sure that their, um, their relationship was enshrined in a contract. Um, I mean, there's a view out there still, not, nowhere near as, as prevalent as it was when I first started practising law in the wine industry about 30 years ago. I mean, a lot of stuff then was done by handshake. There is still a bit of a view amongst some winemakers and growers that um, you don't need a contract if the relationship's right. Um, I don't agree with that. I, I don't see that um, two parties who might be great friends um, putting uh, committing the terms of their arrangement to writing uh, is contrary to having a good relationship. In fact, it actually supports a, a good relationship. It, uh, it makes the arrangement transparent uh, the process of drafting the agreement of, of, you know, talking about it and negotiating it, writing it down means the parties actually consider issues that might arise, issues that might arise through no fault of either party, act of God, you know, a, a difficult vintage like 2011 with mould everywhere, no one's fault, but someone has to wear the loss. If you talk about what might happen um, and how you're going to deal with it before the event, it's a whole lot easier to deal, to deal with it, um, you know, when, when the act of God does happen. I mean, for example, I mean, you might have a, a grape grower and winemaker who've got a great relationship, dealt with each other for years through the generations. Um, some fruit comes in and it's mouldy. And the, uh, the winemaker might think, well, gee, you know, um, I don't really want to process that fruit and put it into my, under my brand. Um, but then again, you know, I love this guy. I don't want to tell him, I don't want to tell him to take the fruit away. The grower might say, well, gee, um, I don't really want to impose this fruit on, on this winemaker, mate, who I, who I really like and I've been dealing with for years, but God, I need the money. You know, how do you deal with it? Now, some people might say you just talk about it and sort it out, but, you know, when you've got that, that tension uh, due to no one's fault and, you know, there's a, a question as to whether it's rejectable or not rejectable, it's right on, that, right on the fence, right on the fine line, you haven't actually determined uh, what the, the, the threshold is to reject the fruit. You haven't decided whether, you know, 5% downy mildew infection is, is, is the limit or 10% or, 
or you know, um, you know, it's 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 a uh, it's a situation that could create friction in the relationship that could be avoided or at least limited if the parties had actually talked about that situation up front and they're committed to writing that it was say five percent was the threshold and they maybe they'd agreed that if they talked about it and they couldn't quite work it out or they don't want to have the debate uh, because it's uncomfortable they'll just they'll agree upon an independent expert to come in and make the decision and they'll just abide by the umpire's decision and the relationship can continue happily into the future so will i, I absolutely agree with you and i think anyone who doesn't have a contract is um it's it's a serious way of actually ruining a relationship rather than maintaining one and i'm, I'm a great fan of contracts um code of conduct we've got a new code of conduct in place or a revised code of conduct uh, do you see that playing a, a important role in some of this relationship building? Absolutely. Look, I um, as you know, I'm a bit biased because we worked with Australian Grape and Wine in developing that in that code or drafting it. Um, so I'll, I'll declare that, declare my interest. But um, being quite objective about it, I think it's a really positive document. Um, it's all about improving relations, protecting, enhancing relations between growers and winemakers. You know, you might say it was encouraged it was given impetus by the ACCC. Well, of course, it was given impetus by the ACCC. But I, I'm sure you'll agree, Tony, it's not all about just keeping the ACCC happy. It's actually designed, quite apart from the ACCC, it is designed to improve relations between growers and winemakers, which has got to be you know, a great benefit to the sector. It's not Wineries, I don't think, should be scared of it or concerned about it. It's not onerous. Uh, by signing the Code of Conduct, you just commit to fair dealing with your growers. You commit to transparency. You do commit to actually reducing your agreement to writing, which, as I just mentioned, I think is a very, a very positive thing. The code's not really prescriptive. It doesn't detail all the things that your, your, your grape supply agreement has to say. It just sets out what needs to be covered. Um, for example, it, it says that um, you need to set out in your contract the maturity, purity and condition thresholds the fruit needs to, needs, needs to comply with. It doesn't actually say what those thresholds are. That's, that's up to the grower and the winemaker to, to, to negotiate. It doesn't say um, what your standards are for grading fruit. Say you have a pricing mechanism where price depends upon grade. Okay, You might grade A, B, C, D, or E. The code doesn't say what grade A is and grade B is or grade C is. That's for the parties to work out for themselves. It just says you've got to be transparent about how you will determine the grade, which is, is just a fair and, and, and positive thing. So I'm, I'm um, a big fan of the code and I'd encourage growers and, and, and winemakers and growers to sign up to it or winemakers to sign up to it. Yeah, I mean, the code is no silver bullet and it, was, it never can be. I mean, relationships are the silver bullet. Uh, the thing I like about the code is it, it takes away a lot of the elements of disagreement and I think it can do that very well. And it's a work in progress, of course, as we develop more and more objective measures uh, and standards and, and sampling techniques, that's going to make everything more transparent. And I think that's going to be a major boon. So I'm, I'm very excited, I think, about the next couple of years of how that code will develop. Um, I guess, though, that does bring us to, well, what I think is probably, there's only two things that growers and winemakers ever disagree on. Oh, well, three things. One is who buys at the pub. The other two, of course, are what the price you have and uh, 
what's the grade you've been given to your grapes that determines those price. So I guess what happens now, we're in vintage, if you're unhappy with either of those elements. Well, if you're not happy with the price you're offered, um, and I guess and you're a grower and you, uh, and you haven't got a contract, well, you don't have to agree. You can go and try and sell your fruit elsewhere. Um, if you do have a contract, uh, it'll be governed by the terms of your, um, of your contract. Now, most well-written fair market price contracts or negotiated price contracts um, will have a dispute breaking mechanism. And that will basically be sending the thing off to an independent expert, an independent umpire, someone in the wine industry experienced in the trading of fruit in the particular region who has got a, a pretty good understanding of what pricing, what current pricing is in that region. And that's what the code says. So if you've got a code compliant contract and, uh, and you're a grower and the winemaker comes to you with a price offer in accordance with the time frame in the code, uh, which should be reflected in the contract, and you don't like the, the offer, um, and you negotiate it and you can't agree with the winemaker, then you can send it off to an independent expert under the process, which is quite simple, set out in the code, which should be reflected in your contract. So I guess the big thing, Will, is to make sure you get your contract right, you understand it, and you get everything in it from both sides at the beginning, and then you've got the code to back you up. So make sure your winemaker's a signature if you're a grower, and make sure both of you, you, you agree on the contract, you both understand what it means. Yep. Um, another big issue that's hitting this vintage, which is probably, it's not unique to this vintage, but it's, it's more pronounced is the fact about labour. So obviously labour is scarce in this vintage. Um, one of the things that we also know is we're under scrutiny from the Fair Work Ombudsman. So there have been concerns raised about the, uh, I guess, the use of labour, which doesn't comply with um, proper wage and terms and conditions. Uh, what are the watchouts for grape growers and wineries this year in these conditions? Mm. Well, not just in the wine industry, but generally, it's been well reported um, what a what a horrible reputational risk it is for any business if they're found to not to have paid their employees appropriately. It's more than reputational risk; it's obviously you know just poor form, uh, not not to pay your people properly, but and also there's legal liability, but. It, it, there's huge reputational risk if you're found to be even inadvertently uh, not paying your growers appropriately. And it can, it can be inadvertent, and I'm sure in many cases it has been inadvertent. But you just, do not, you just don't want it splashed all over social media and the mainstream media if you haven't been paying your, 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 your people properly. Um, and that's just not salary. It's, you know, superannuation obligations. It's tax. You know, you, you really need to have complied with your, with your legal obligations as, as regards payments. Um, that's, that's a really big issue. And safety remains a huge issue in the workplace, uh, both in wineries and in vineyards. I mean, uh, wineries are dangerous places, you know, sadly, and so are vineyards, you know, sadly, we have a death, you know, reasonably regularly in the, in the wine industry. Every few years, a death's reported. Um, you just can't be too diligent. You can't be too careful uh, about 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 safety. Um, as regards other things you can do, other, other important things you need to do. If you've got really key employees, like a rock star winemaker, or a, you know, some other really important employee. Um, you really should have, should have them stitched up in a decent contract. Um, that's just common, common sense, just good business practice. 
Um, all your employees should really at least have a, you know, a professionally drafted letter of engagement that, that protects them and protects you, that set, sets out their basic terms and conditions of employment. Um, other things you need to do, um, obviously, you need to comply with COVID protocols. I mean, I don't need to say anything about that. There's been so much written and said about COVID protocols. Um, clearly, in the wine industry, bushfire risk has, has had a lot of airplay because we've had so many tragic situations with bushfires in recent times. You need to have your bush, bushfire protocols in place uh, and adhered to, and your disaster management plan generally um, should be in place. So, Tony, can I just go back one to one step just before we finished on contracts? The other really key message about contracts, and people that have been to our wine roadshows have heard me say this, um, quite apart from the code of conduct, um, the, the, there has now been in law in Australia in the last few years, unfair contracts terms provisions um, under the Competition and Consumer Act, the Australian Consumer Law, which is brought into effect under the uh, Competition and Consumer Act. These don't just apply to grape supply agreements, they apply to all your standard form small business contracts. Um, if you have any terms in those contracts that are deemed to be unfair, there's a bit of law around what's un, un, unfair, then those terms are void. And it looks like pretty soon, um, not only will the, will the terms be void, but there'll also be penalties for companies. So you'll be able to be fined effectively for having unfair terms in your contracts. So you need to review all of your contracts and just make sure they're fair and balanced. Yeah, thanks for reminding me on that one, Will. Yeah, it's 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 become really clear to me in my discussions with ACCC that that's something they're looking at. And long standing contracts that have been around for a long time, it probably is time to review them because uh, things that you might feel are fair uh, may well be under the law, not so. And if you have a breakdown in relationships, the uh, last thing you want to do is be hit with a hefty fine. Um, you did mention something that did perplex me. You talked about rock star winemakers. My grape grower mates tell me there's no such thing as a rock star winemaker, <laughs> but they do agree they should be stitched up. So um, they, they're halfway with you. Uh, just um, on just one more point, I guess, on COVID, you talk about the protocols. We had a lot of trouble last year making sure we were an essential industry and we could operate during vintage. It's just as important, this vintage, to ensure you've got your COVID plans in place and your emergency plans in place because if something happens during vintage no one can afford to be shut down either a grower or a winemaker so uh, I, I'm just going to use this opportunity Will to to back up what you say about having those plans in place but it's not just for it's for keeping you operating during the only time you can get to harvest your grapes and process so uh, please remember that um, I guess we, we are talking about risk management Will, so what about other areas and other things that wineries should do in the areas of risk management? Um, well, I guess the, the obvious one is to make sure your insurances are up to date uh, and the premiums are paid and that you're comprehensively insured. I mean, you really should get a, a decent insurance broker who has experience in the wine industry, understands what happens in wineries, understands what happens in vineyards, understands the marketplace for wine, um, and there are such people, um, have one of them review your, your insurances. Um, also give them, give them copies of your standard contracts, your key contracts, like your grape supply agreements. Uh, if, you, if you're a contract processor, your contract processing agreement, your standard contract processing agreement. If you're a contract bottler, your contract bottling agreement, your standard. Even if you're a contract storer, if you store wine for other people, um, give them a copy of your standard storage agreement. 
let them let, let them review those documents. Let them have a look at where your where the gaps are, where you, where you are exposed, and let them advise you whether you can ensure or the extent to which you can ensure to cover those gaps and the cost of doing so. Then you can make a commercial decision regarding the level of insurance and the extent of insurance that you that you buy. Um, and then don't just sign off on that and and get the insurance. Actually read your insurance policies. I mean, you, need, you actually need to understand your insurance policies, particularly the exclusions, so that you do know the gaps. Get some advice if you don't understand them. These days, insurance policies are written uh, in, like, like banking documents, for example, are, are written in more, more um, easy to read, easy to understand fashion. But if you can't understand any of them, or, any of them, or you, or you think they're con contradictory, or you, you don't quite get them, get some advice. But it's really important that you understand your risks and you understand the policies that are in place to uh, to try and minimise those risks. And then, of course, have a have an appropriate disaster management plan in place. I mentioned that before. Cover not just bushfires, but other, but other potential disasters that you might have, including marketplace disasters. You know, product recalls or uh, or um, uh, something going wrong, um, you know, glass ending up in a bottle or whatever, uh, whatever, whatever other disaster you might have. I guess, um, Will, and we are running short of time. So one, one final question. And it's, I guess, with the China situation on and the effective closure of that market for the foreseeable future, and I would say for four to five years, there's a lot more great growers and wineries looking at contract processing and contract bottling and, and everything under contract. Are there any sort of uh, advice that you could give us or lessons that people should look out for it, when they're either going to a winery doing contract processing or indeed if um, a grower is looking for a contract processor? Yes, well, um, from the customer's point of view, um, obviously go to someone who's reputable. Um, I guess that goes without saying, but you know, don't just go to the guy down the street or, or the guy closest to you. Actually ask around. I mean, people talk in the industry, people who people have got a bit of an idea about who's good, who's reliable, who's not. Um, because, you know, clearly it's absolutely fundamental that you have the right people looking after your grapes, making your wine. Um, very easy to stuff up good grapes in the, in the winery. Um, also, you've got to have a decent contract. So if something goes wrong, you've got some clear recourse um, so that, you know, if, if you do, if, if your grapes are all lost, are all, are all stuffed, you know, you've got some recourse. From the processor's point of view, um, look, contract processing can be lucrative. It, it makes a lot of commercial sense. I mean, you've got a, a major expensive asset. If it's not fully utilised, it makes absolute sense to take some other fruit through it and, and fully utilise your capacity. But contract processing, just like contract bottling, is risky business. Uh, all winemakers know that plenty can go wrong in the winery. Even though you, you, know, you, know, you think you're doing a very diligent job, things can go wrong. And even if you produce, even if you do the job well and you produce sound wine, sometimes it just might not taste like what the guy was hoping it might taste like. So you might find yourself at the end of a complaint, which can turn into a dispute, even though you've done a decent job. So you, you seriously do have to have, um, this is even more important than nothing, grape supply agreements. I mean, you seriously do need to have a decent, comprehensive, well-drafted, contract processing agreement to protect your position if you are the processor. That needs to limit your liability to the extent that's reasonable. Um, and it needs to uh, 
Um, well, it needs to do two things, actually. It needs to make sure you're only liable in circumstances in which you should be liable. And where you are liable, it should limit your liability to a reasonable level. Okay? And, and that also impacts on your insurance premiums. Many decent insurer will want to see your standard agreement and know what deals you're doing with your customers before they uh, give you a decent, decent insurance policy. All right. Thanks, Will. And look, I, I think we'll have to wrap it up now. We haven't got much time, but um, that was really informative. And I always learn a lot when I talk to you, Will. Um, some would say it's because I don't know much to start with, but I, I just think it's you're very good at what you do. Um, look, for all those watching, if you've enjoyed to, listening to Will Taylor today, there will be the Finlayson's Roadshow later this year, probably July, August. Uh, you get, also will be accompanying Will as usual on this and Wine Australia. So hopefully uh, there'll be a lot more information that you can get at that time. So look, thanks everyone for listening. Will Taylor, Thank you once again for your presence on this. We'll have you back. We'll talk about more issues and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Tony. Enjoyed it.